through First uh, Peter, and we've been in the first chapter for a few weeks, and today we're going to be in the first chapter again. Um, <clears throat> you can turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter one, and we're going to be focusing today on verses three through twelve. <clears throat> uh, I think it was in your bulletin, just so you all are aware that we're going to be Jamie and I are going to be gone this week. Also, we're over at uh, the camp meeting over in Pennsylvania, the Western PA Church of God camp meeting. Uh, I've grown up there my whole life. I've never missed a year. I think this is my 35th year. Uh, and uh, it's pretty amazing to be able to go back there and be with the family and be with everybody over there. Uh, we actually drove here this morning from there. We left early this morning to come back. The kids are over there with my parents. So after this, we're going to be going back. But uh uh, then after that, we're going to be going to the Dominican Republic. We had a mission trip scheduled for uh, July 31st. So we're going to be leaving July 31st to go to the Dominican. So I'm not sure if I will see you all between now and then. So if you could be praying for us for that trip, uh, that would be much appreciated. Uh, so today we're going to be looking again at First Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start today in uh, verse 3, and, and some of this we're just going to very, very briefly review some of the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of, the de- of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So those are the things that we talked about over the last few weeks and just reviewing that we talked about how Peter said the first thing that is that that we should come to God with uh, praise and, and thanksgiving. That, that was the, the beginning of all this letter. He starts with, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we should be people, as Peter was, we should be people who the first thing should be are, are coming to each other and, and others in the church and coming to God with praise because we are thankful for what God has done. And he goes on to talk about uh, the reasons for that because through the risen Christ we have been given a living hope. Right? We talked about that, that the, the, our hope is not something that we just put off in the distance and revisit once in a while, but our hope is something that is living and active. Christ wants to be living and active through His Spirit in our lives. He doesn't just leave us as we are, but He moves in us constantly. If we keep our eyes fixed on Him and walk in, our, in the Spirit of God, that He will be transforming us continually. It is a living hope that is always active in our lives. That's what is available to us. And then He says that we have an inheritance The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. So all that Christ has, all that Christ is, everything that the Father has given to the Son, we are co-heirs with Christ of all those things. And that is the reasons why we are thankful. So in all of this, then, Peter goes on, and I think he brings it together, this first half of chapter 1, 
he brings it together in these few verses. Um, starting in verse 10, he says, Then in all of this, concerning this salvation that we're talking about, he says, The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So today we're going to talk about the significance of what Christ has been made, has made available to us. I want to bring all of those things together, talking about the living hope and the inheritance, all of those things. We want to look, put this in perspective. That's what Peter is doing in this moment. He's saying, look, we've talked about all these things. You have a living hope, you have an inheritance, but I want to show you what is available to you now. Because we're, what, what we're getting from this scripture is the hope that we have was not always available to mankind. The point he's getting at is you, us sitting here now, and the people that he was talking to then after Christ came, this is what you have. Because it was different before. It was different during the time of the prophets. It was different during the time of the Old Covenant. And I don't think that we can possibly truly be thankful as the people of God until we understand what is available to us because it wasn't always there. And too many times we take, it's the same thing as sometimes with your family or, or the, the material possessions we have or the provisions that we have. Sometimes, like, we, we, we all go home and we have food in the cupboards, right? We don't think about it. We don't, th- that's not something in America for the most part. There are some people who have to think about that. For the, for, for the most part, we don't have to think about what we're going to eat the next meal. I mean, we do. Jamie and I struggle with that. You know, it's, it gets to time to eat, and then somebody says, well, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? Those could be some of the most stressful times in our relationship, is trying to figure out what we're going to eat. Uh, but uh, for the most part, we don't have to think about those kind of things. It doesn't have to be food. It could be anything. But, but what I'm trying to say is that, that we sometimes in, in our abundance, we begin to forget and take for granted things. Right? And it's the same way, I believe, in our Christian walk and what is available to us in Christ, the salvation that is available to us. I mean, most of us have heard this uh, our whole lives starting from being children. Some of us have just recently heard it, but the point is that we are surrounded by this message that Christ died for you. You have the opportunity to go to heaven. You have all these promises available to you. But that living hope was not the same. It was not there. And we have to gain perspective on what it was like before Christ came so that we can be thankful and joyous for what we have now. So that's what I want to talk about just for a few minutes here, and then we're going to bring that together. So uh, in, uh, so the first thing that we have to understand is, is uh, that everything in the Word of God is relevant to us. There's not one thing in the Word of God that's not relevant. There are a lot of people that will avoid the Old Testament because uh, it's, it's hard to understand. It is. Uh, there are things about it that are hard to, hard to understand, uh, but sometimes we think that's just the old part of things that doesn't apply today. But everything in the Word of God is relevant to us. There's not one bit of it that doesn't speak to our lives today. Everything. We've talked about this before, but everything that God did in the Old Testament was pointing to Christ. Everything. He was lifting up Christ from day one. From the beginning, the first verse of the Bible, He was pointing to Christ. Everything that you see was God painting a picture 
uh, in physical terms of Christ to come. They called it, they, they referred to it as types. Uh, they, they would call Adam a type of Christ or Moses a type of Christ because the people of God were in captivity. Right? So Moses goes in and he delivers the people and sets them free. It was all a picture pointing to Christ and who he was and what was to come. That's what we see in the Old Testament. So in all of that, everything that we read, uh, there's nothing that we can ever look at in the Word of God and say, this doesn't apply to my life. There is always something that we can gain from that. Uh, so the Old Covenant was drastically different than uh, that which is available to us in Christ. Um, you see, what the, what the priests and the Israelites saw in the Old Covenant was a legal obligation. Uh, we all know that Adam and Eve and all of that story where they chose to do, they chose to rebel against God, and through that, the Bible says, it, it's amazing if you look in the beginning, like, but the Bible says that God created uh, Adam in his own image. But then after they fell, if you read a little farther, I don't know if it's chapter 5 or 6 in Genesis, but it says that uh, Adam bore his next son in his image. So the point of that is that there was, we still have the capacity, we still have the ability to understand God, to have spiritual things in us. There, there is part of the image of God at work in our lives, but we also took on then the image of our father Adam. Because of his sin, we were born then in the same way. The Bible says, I don't have to look that up, I can't remember what chapter it is. But the point is that we, that we took on that same nature from Adam. And after that, then... Uh, God was pointing to Christ who would come and set free the heart of, of man. But until that time, that's where he set up uh, the sacrificial system, right? And you see from, from that point on where uh, uh, God will start to reveal these laws throughout the Old Testament, the first few books of the Bible. He will reveal these laws. And then you see uh, that the people of God will rebel against those laws. And then he'll reveal some more laws. And then the people will rebel. And then he will reveal some more laws. And on and on it goes. And I think there's something like 613 laws that God had revealed to the people in that time. And man could not live up to it. Because what it was in that moment was an outward uh, responsibility. It was the, the law was nothing that could touch the heart of man. The law in that moment, the laws of God before Christ... Were, were regulations that people could make themselves clean by simply obeying, but it didn't cleanse the heart. It made me clean by, by the legal code that I was able to live up to this, but it didn't take away uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the sin nature of man. Uh, and we're going to look at that here in a, in a few moments. But uh, Hebrews 9, chapter, chapter 9, starting in verse 9, it says, this uh, of the sacrifices, it says, the last half of verse 9 into verse 10, it says, The gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. So that's what, in that moment, all of the things that we saw in the Old Covenant were external regulations. Basically, it was getting them by uh, until the moment when Christ would come and set up a new, new covenant with man where he would dwell within man and he would cleanse man's heart and give him peace. Uh, so 
they, they had to observe this. This was the world that they lived in. All these 613 laws, every day that they got up, they had all these things. I have to do this, and, and I have to do uh, this sacrifice this way, and prepare it this way, and if I do this to somebody else, then I have to offer this kind of sacrifice. All of, all of these kind of things is was their life. That's what they had, these ceremonies, these, these rituals that they had to go through so that they could externally be able to somewhat approach God and know Him. That's what their life was. And Ravi Zacharias uh, said it this way. I love this. He said, it was like this when they looked at the laws. You see, the, the laws were meant to reveal the heart of man. That's why it came. That's why God set the laws there. So uh, the law revealed in mankind, in their heart, that they couldn't possibly live up to who God is. That they could never be good enough for Him. That's what the law was. If we would have never had the laws of God, we would think we're just fine. I mean, you see that today, even in some Christian circles. People judge themselves by somebody else, right? They think, well, I'm not as bad as this other person over here, so I'm probably just fine and I'll be in heaven. Or even people who want nothing to do with God, they think, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And somebody, honestly, somebody who's an atheist can be a morally good person. They can do things that are morally good. Just because somebody doesn't believe God exists doesn't mean that they can't do something that is morally good. But that's not the issue. The issue is that the laws of God were there to reveal that there is no one that can approach God. There's no one. Even the most person, whoever we can look on and say, that person is morally good. They give all this money to charities. They help people. They do all of these things. That is not the issue. The issue that the heart of man is separated from God. And we cannot judge ourselves by the other people around us by thinking, well, this person's way worse than I am. We can't judge ourselves that way. We have to look off to God. Everybody else around us disappears when we stand at the foot of the cross. When you get to the moment where you dry your last breath and you stand before Christ, no one else is around you. He's not looking at you saying, this person over here, well, you're better than they were. Or these, There's a hundred people over there. You're, so you're on this scale above these people. He's not ranking us based on other people. He's looking at our heart. So that's the point in that moment. They were looking on the laws and understanding that there was no peace in their heart because they couldn't possibly live up to all of this. So Ravi Zechariah said it this way. He said it's like looking at the law was like looking into a mirror. You can look into a mirror and see the dirt on your face, but you can never make it clean by rubbing your face on the mirror. So that's what the law was like. They were looking on this and they were seeing a reflection of their heart. But that's all it was. They, they, could, they could do the sacrifices to, to appease God in that moment, but they were seeing a reflection of their heart. And no matter how many animal sacrifices or, or grain offerings, whatever you can look at, no matter how many of those things they laid before God, they were still seeing in the reflection of that mirror, they were seeing the dirt in their hearts. And it couldn't be cleansed by all of those things. So you have to understand, when we are talking about... Uh, well, I think how significant this is that uh, Peter's talking about uh, uh, the prophets looking intently and searching to understand what was being revealed. And it says angels long to look into these things. You understand what is revealed to us then in these moments is so significant because these are the people that were the spiritual leaders at the time. And they were speaking and leading the people and they were speaking the mind of God and they were speaking all of these things that we're going to look into in a moment here, but they didn't understand fully what that meant. 
They didn't understand what was happening. So they were in this place where they were seeing all of these sacrifices being made over and over. And they were seeing the people offer the sacrifices, but there was never peace in the heart of man. They were seeing that there was no way that they could actually be in the presence of God. You understand that in those moments when in the Old, old Covenant they had the, the tent of meeting or the temple or, or whatever uh, during the different time periods, but they were all set up the same. So they would approach and they would enter the, the, the court and they would lay their sacrifices on the altar, but then the priests would go into this, this building where uh, the front of that building was uh, the holy place and they would have the table on one side. I don't remember which side was which, but the light, uh, the candlesticks was on the other side and then you would go a little further and there was the altar of incense and then the curtain and behind the curtain was the most holy place where God dwelled. And they could, only one person could go in there one time a year. That was it. God dwelled in that place. So that's what all of the angels, all the prophets, all the, that's what they are seeing. God is dwelling in this place behind the curtain. And they're seeing these sacrifices that have to be laid before him. And man looking on these sacrifices and seeing the dirt in his heart. And that there was never any peace within his heart because he couldn't dwell in communion like he could in the beginning. That's what, they, that's what they're seeing. In the beginning, man walked with God in the garden. And he fell and there's no peace and God dwells behind a curtain. And you understand that God clearly, there's no way that he revealed to them the fullness of everything that was coming. Because if we read in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, it says that the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms through the church. So everything that's going on, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, God did not reveal the fullness of his plan. They still don't know. They're still, God is still revealing himself through what he is doing in you and I as the church. So my point is there is significance in what is happening. So, but, but that is the world that they lived in. God dwelling behind the curtain and, and doing all these sacrifices to try to gain peace that could never come through external regulations. All the prophets and angels looked on and that's what they see. Uh, and then... Um, let me see where I want to go here. We're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 47. But there was something that was greater in the message that the, that the prophets spoke, even if they didn't understand it at the time. They searched intently to try to understand what this meant because they, they had a longing in their heart. They knew that there was something more. It's the same as if you read in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says that uh, Abraham had left the land of his fathers. God had told him to go to the place that he had for a minute. Abraham left, of the, left the land of his fathers. And he went up from there and he dwelled in tents as a stranger in the land because uh, it says that he did this, not knowing where he was going. He did this because he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect was God. And the point of that is he didn't know exactly where he was going. He had no idea. All he knew was God spoke and there was something more. And that's the same thing in that moment. The, the prophets looked on and saw all of these things, but they knew that God spoke to them. And they knew that God was leading somewhere. They didn't know where, but they knew there was something more that God was leading them to. And I want to show you just one of the things 
that was spoken through the prophet Ezekiel and, and how he must have searched so much and, and, and wanted to understand fully what this meant, but how we as the church are the ones who benefit from what he spoke in that moment. Ezekiel chapter 47, starting in verse 1. This is where, if you read the, the, the chapters before this, I think three, starting three chapters before this, uh, Ezekiel is given a vision of a temple, uh, a new temple, and he is, uh, uh, so the angel is describing every, every detail of how that would be laid out in uh, all of those things. And one note before we move on to this is, there, there are people that would tell you that this is something that is reserved for the future in Israel. That eventually this is going to be, that this prophecy is something that is often in the future that will be fulfilled literally in Israel. Some people will tell you that about this. That is not the case. We don't have time to go into that all, all today. I promise we will at some point. But one of the simplest ways to understand that this, the kingdom of God is spiritual and not a physical place is uh, Christ was asked when the kingdom would come or be restored to Israel. And what did he say? He said the kingdom has not come with observation. Nobody says here it is or there it is. The kingdom is within you. So the kingdom that we are looking at today is not off in the future. It is not in a physical place. That's not what we are looking for. The kingdom of God is within the hearts of believers today. Everyone who has accepted Christ as their Savior, nobody votes them as a member of a church. They walk through the door of Christ, and in that moment they become a part of the kingdom of God. So that is the context of this. When we're looking in the Old Testament and seeing a prophecy of a temple off in the future, we can, we can think and understand that in the terms of the church, number one, being built as the temple. The Bible says that we will be built uh, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ as the chief cornerstone. All of those things that we are built as God's temple. Uh, so uh, we, we'll kind of dissect those things at some point, but that's just a brief. I just want to make sure you understand this because sometimes maybe we'll go home and Google some of this to make sure I'm saying something that's right. <laughs> And I'm, I'm going to tell you that you might find some things that are contrary to this. But uh, so the point is that, that uh, the prophets were, were speaking this in Ezekiel 47. There was something greater in the message of the prophets. That's what we want to look at. Starting in verse 1. It says, The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, what do you see? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. 
When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglim. There will be places for spreading nets. Uh, the fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees in all kinds will grow on both banks of the river, for leaves will not, uh, their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So the prophets, and you could imagine Ezekiel, searched intently, as the Word of God says in First Peter, to understand what he was saying. Because this was something that was off in the distance for him, but it is something that was revealed to the church in these moments. And we're going to break this apart and show you how that is the case. We have to understand, first of all, that the Bible tells us that God dwells in unapproachable light. That the holiness of God is beyond anything that we can even imagine. There is nothing about <clears throat> about His being that we can possibly understand. The Bible says that we see Him in a reflection from a mirror. It's like looking in a mirror to see His reflection. Now we see bits and pieces <clears throat> of who He is. But someday we will be able to stand in His presence. But He dwells in the place of the unapproachable light. And if you think back to that Old Testament uh, temple where you would enter into the, the holy place and you would see the, the table with the bread and the, the candlestick and then the altar of incense and then behind the curtain was the dwelling place of God. And we look on and we see the crucifixion of Christ and what happened when He died. The curtain of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And what did that symbolize? That symbolized then that God was able, we were able to approach God. And we read in Hebrews then that the Bible says that we should approach God with boldness and confidence. We should enter the most holy place with boldness and confidence because of what Christ has done in us. But this is what the prophets were looking for. Again, they were seeing these sacrifices repeated endlessly that could never take away the guilt of man's heart or never give them peace. And Ezekiel talks in this vision about this stream that would begin in the temple where God dwelt. And God in the most holy place behind that, that curtain in that moment, that's what he was talking about. And seeing this stream coming out of that place and it getting deeper. And then he goes a little farther and it gets deeper. And he goes a little farther and it gets to the point where you can't even cross it. You understand that that is talking about Christ. It's exactly what it is talking about. What did Christ say to the woman at the well? She had drawn water for him to drink. And in John 4, verse 13, he said, Jesus, Jesus answered, he said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
over and over we see in the Bible that, that uh, in Revelation 22, it talks about the stream that flows from the place where God dwells, bringing life. And then Christ is talking about giving living water that would overflow out of people, a well of living water overflowing out of us. You understand that this is what is talking about coming from that most holy place where God dwells. That's the old covenant. God is dwelling in a place beyond man. But what did he do? He sent Christ from his most holy place among men. And everywhere he went, he touched the heart of man. And what happened? He brought life. Everywhere he went, he touched men and brought life. We see even he was in a crowd of people and the woman just touched his garment and she was healed. God dwells in this place beyond us. God dwells in a place that is so far beyond man and He is beyond us. There is no way in this moment we could dwell in His presence aside from Christ being the one who is the stream that comes from the most holy place where God is, bringing life to us, bringing peace to us. You understand the significance of the message that we see here is Ezekiel looking off in the distance and seeing what does this mean? Because God dwells in this place by Himself now. And we hear from Him through priests. We don't have communion with Him ourselves. But then they see off in the distance that Christ would come. They didn't understand this at the time, but they were speaking of Christ coming from that place and dwelling with you and dwelling with me. That's what He's talking about. We can never reduce this to something that is just uh, uh, some sort of average religion that we walk in. Understand that we walk with Christ who brings that living, those living waters from the throne room of God. That's what we are walking in right now. The amazing thing about that also is in verse 8 of uh, Ezekiel 47, he's, it says this, He said to me, this water flows uh, toward the eastern region and goes down into the Araba where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. Um, the Dead Sea is the lowest point on uh, land surface of the earth. It's the lowest point below sea level. I I believe it's uh, 1,400 or 1,500 feet below sea level. It flows from the Jordan River. Uh, The Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, but there's no outlet. The water becomes stagnant at that point. And I I think it's something between 30 and 35% salt uh, content in that water. There's nothing that lives there. There's nothing. Understand we have this, this... great sea over in the Middle East and nothing lives in it. But in this prophecy, Ezekiel is looking on and he's seeing this river that flows from the most holy place, the God that dwells in unapproachable light, the river that flows from him all the way getting deeper until it comes to this place of death. The Dead Sea where nothing lives. There's nothing living there. And what happens? The living water that comes from the throne room of God touches that water and brings life. It brings life to where it says that uh, there will be large numbers of fish. In verse 10, fishermen will stand along 
the shore from Engedi to Anglim, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. So from death to life in Christ, from death to the place where there's even provision, the, the, the fishermen will stand there and cast their nets and they'll be full. And what this illustrates is that the river that comes from the most holy place of God will, there is nothing that is beyond uh, His life-giving water. There's nothing beyond it. There's no person that is beyond that stream of water coming from the throne room of God and into their hearts and bringing life where there was death. There's no person that's beyond that. And often you will see that Christ will find the lowest placed. The people of the lowest position. He will find the people that, that are uh, kind of pushed off by society or the people that, that, uh, that have nothing. or the people. I mean, you, you look in other countries. I've seen people in other countries that have nothing, but they're full of joy because they walk with God. The point is that, that, that our God is not... Uh, a God who, who uh, would conduct himself by what we would consider dignity among men. You know, we, we, there are some things we just won't do, right? Because it's below us. Some things we don't, some, we, we wouldn't say it sometimes, but there are some people we won't associate because they're below us. That is not at all how the stream of living water that flows from the holy place of God Operates. He will find the lowest place, the deadest place, and He will bring life that is beyond what we can even imagine. So, I think, I think today, We have to figure out, I think, where we stand on a lot of issues. As Christians, we have to be able to search ourselves. We have to be able to allow the Spirit of God to search us and allow us to understand if we have actually been walking and been planted on the banks of that river that is flowing from the most holy place of God, are we people who have actually dwelled in that place? You see, the Bible says in, in uh, Psalm 1, it talks about the tree. Psalm 1 and verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff. The wind drives them away. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. You see, the, what the prophets were looking for and what the angels were longing to see was what is available to us. It's what we walk in daily. If we, if we are actually 
serving Christ, if we are actually have been cleansed by His blood, if we, if we have received the salvation that is available in Christ, we are walking with Him and that stream is available to us. And we are able to be planted like that tree and to be able to grow up strong and confident in Him and knowing that whatever is along that stream that flows from the most holy place where God dwells, whatever is planted there will produce fruit. Its leaves won't wither. There will always be provision. There is always something that is available to us in Christ. That is what flows from the most holy place where God dwells today. The question is, have we been there? Is that where we walk? Do you understand that there are places... What are you saying here in verse... uh, Let me see. Verse 11... Ezekiel 47, verse 11, he says, But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. What that's saying is that there are places that the river, what he's likening that to or what that means in spiritual terms for us is you can resist God. The river flowing from the most holy place where God dwells, he's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to force himself on the person that sat in church for 10, 15, 30, or 40 years and just tried to slide by on religion. He's not going to force himself on you. There's people out in the world that don't know him and are in the lowest place and hurting, but they're resisting. He's not going to force himself. The point is that the stream is available. There is a stream that flows from the holy place where God dwells. It allows us to approach Him. The, the, the life-giving Son that is available to us and has washed us by His blood, He is there available for us to plant ourselves in Him through the Spirit and to be built up in Him and to be like that tree whose leaves will never wither and always produces fruit. That is what is available to us as the church. The question is, are we there? Are we walking in it? The worship team is going to come up as we end today. Um, there, There are people that have walked in this. I have known people that have been planted by that stream. There's nothing greater than seeing somebody who has walked through life planted along that stream and has weathered storms. They have walked through difficult situations, but they have come out on the other side with greater faith than they had in the first place. There's nothing greater than seeing that in someone. But honestly, I believe one of the saddest places is not the person outside who knows nothing of God, but is the person who has been to church their whole lives and has never planted themselves, been planted by the stream. Because that is a way of deceiving us into thinking that we are doing just fine. Satan is a master of deceiving us. 
He is a master of, uh, I can't remember who said it, but he said that Satan would give you nine truths to give you one lie. And that's all it takes is being able to just sometimes sit in a church building and see that, well, if, if, I, if I live according to this, if I do this and this and this, then I'll be, you know, I'll be okay and I'm a morally good person and I'll be in heaven. That, that is not the point of this. That is, that is what the prophets saw in the legal requirements of the law. They saw this list of things that you do. They could never give peace to the heart of man. But they were spoke, speaking of what would benefit us today. And it says uh, in, in, in 1 Peter, and we'll just end with this. It says in 1 Peter, uh, they tried to find out the time and circumstances in which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preach the gospel. The prophets, when Ezekiel spoke this prophecy and he saw this vision of the stream, he was not serving himself, he was serving us. All that time ago when he was speaking this, it was for us. And he was telling you, church, you better get this because the stream is available to provide for you everything that you need. It is flowing from the holy place where God dwells through His Son. It is here now. My prayer is that we will not be people that get to the end of our lives and realize we were never planted by that stream. But we would lay hold of all that Christ has available to us today as the church. God, we thank You today again. Thank you for your word and all that you've revealed to us through your word. We thank you that all that time ago that your prophets spoke, as you gave them visions and dreams, as you gave them words, Father, they were not serving themselves, but they were serving your church. And Father, we pray that somehow you would humble us to be able to lay ourselves before you. Because we know as we submit ourselves to you that we gain freedom, we gain peace. All the things that men are searching for can be found on the streams of that river that flows from your holy place. Father, don't allow us to miss that today. Father, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.